Welcome to the Numa Church Podcast. For more information on all things Numa, please contact us on our website, numa.church. Now get ready for another inspirational message. I was going to say, it's nice to see you this morning, but I can't really see you. Um, as I'm facing a major health challenge at the moment, due to um, post-chemotherapy, I will share a little bit of the journey with you. Uh, Post-chemotherapy, I got viral infections as a result of the immune system not working, and now it's gone to my eyes. And so Wednesday, they may have to operate on my right eye. So I can see you out of my left eye a little bit. Uh, um, But uh, the doctors have allowed me to travel this weekend, uh, which is a miracle, really, because this is my first time to share uh, after about nine months. And so um, I hope it's going to be okay. But I've discovered during my journey that you don't need a pulpit to have a platform. And I wish every Christian could get hold of the fact that we're all called and all of us are ministers and that we don't need pulpits, but every day we have platforms. I can honestly say if I never stand behind a pulpit again, it would be sad because I believe it's what I'm called to for some of what I do, but I've come to understand that God doesn't take away his purpose And as I share some stories with you, I don't want them just to be stories, but I want them to impact you as they've impacted me to know that God never leaves us no matter what we're going through. Ladies and gentlemen, life is about living with contrasts. You know, you live with pleasure and pain. You live with sadness and joy. And I've discovered in the Bible that when you go and look at the scriptures on open doors, where God opens doors that no man can shut, He opens them for people that can live with contrast. If you can't live with contrast, it's hard to believe for open doors because there's a price as well as the prize. When I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't give my life to Jesus because of what he does for me. I gave him my life because he's God, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No matter what I go through, he doesn't stop being truth. And so I am going to share a little bit of my journey because my story should encourage your story because our stories are his story. And I want his story to be real in every season. I used to say to our church many years ago, I'm only one decision away from becoming a total idiot. (laughs) One decision. And, you know, I don't want to have a good start, a good middle of my life and finish up all twisted because someone hurt me, someone upset me, the church hurt me. No, I want to finish strong because one of the evidences of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is lasting the, the, the whole distance. It's endurance, it's continuance. That's the word I was looking for, continuance. If you continue in my name. And so I had no idea when God called me into the ministry so supernaturally that I would go through some of the journey that we've been through. But he knew that I would go through it. When my son passed away four years ago, and I'll share a little bit of that, I remember one night kneeling down by my bed, bawling my eyes out, and I said, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. But I trust you. And I heard a voice inside my head so loud, even though it wasn't audible. And he said, and I trust you. 
And I go, what? God, you trust me. What do you trust me with? He said, I trust you to finish your race strong. I trust you to last the distance, trusting me all the way. God has given me so many promises over the years that I cannot deny that it wasn't him. It was him. I couldn't deny it was him. And yet when God called me, he knew I would go through what I'm going through. The brokenness of one son and many of you know his story and I haven't got time to go there today. But those of you that know Michael, he's been on a 10-year journey and totally restored to God and three little kids now serving Jesus. I thought my life was over then. I thought, how are we going to navigate this? And then in 2016, January the 22nd, our eldest son, Chris, passed away, killed by a lightning strike in the Adelaide Hills. 39 years of age and four little children. I can't begin to tell you the pain to watch those little children have to navigate dad not being around. We had to go through all those firsts. The first time they came without dad for Christmas. The first time they came to visit without dad. I remember the very first time as they walked through the front door, we all cried as we looked at each other. My little 11-year-old grandson at that time, he's uh, 13 now, I think, 11, he's wearing his dad's hat. I could smell aftershave and I said, Elijah, you don't shave. you got aftershave on. He said, oh, it's my daddy's aftershave. I just want to remember daddy and never forget him. This is his hat. I started to cry and I didn't want him to see me, so I turned around and walked towards my bedroom. He followed me and he said, no, no, we're Italian and no, no, his granddad. He goes, no, no, don't cry. Heaven is our home. Don't cry, no, no. Heaven is our home. Their dad had been teaching them about eternity. All over the house, there were scriptures on eternity in different parts of the house and this little 11-year-old boy. To watch a 14-year-old grandson who now is 18, sounds like his dad, talks like his dad. I look at him and I see our son, the joy and the pain of that experience. The joy of watching that little boy who's now 18, a teenager, not have his dad around to be proud of all that he's done in the last four years. When his dad died, he wrote a poem to his dad in heaven. And he was only 14 when this happened and I thought, I don't know how these kids are going to go. He wrote this poem, Please, my father, I beg you to stay. Don't worry, Zeke, we'll meet again someday. Help me, my father, I'm so upset. You are someone I'll never forget. Come, my father, we need you here. Don't worry, Zeke, I'm always near. Hey, my father, why did you go? God has his reasons, you'll never know. Hey, my father, you're forever in my heart. From this day forward, we will never be apart. Goodbye, my father, you were my own. It's okay, Zeke. Daddy's home. 14 years old to have to navigate that. But I stand before you today, four years later, and our little granddaughter, who's now 16, 
came up to me this week and gave me a big hug and said, no, no, I'm going to be singing on the mics at Youth Alive. To have Zeke at the age of 18 say, no, no, I don't understand. I took him out for dinner. I sat with my grandson and I said, you know, how do you feel? He said, I don't understand why God would allow this to happen. But I said, is there anything there, Zeke, that you feel you can trust God? He goes, well, I keep waking up in the night, Nonna, with ideas of messages. I said, have you got any? He said, I've got one on my phone here. He read it to me. I pulled out my phone. And that week, God had given me the same message. And I showed on my phone. I said, this is the same message your granddad got. Maybe you're called to finish the work your dad started. He goes, I, I think that might be the case. And so he comes in the house and hugs me now like my son used to. Those hugs of Chris that he wouldn't let you go. And now his son's doing the same. I can't tell you the joy of knowing that in the midst of such pain, God can be so real. But the pain is real also. You see, in 2016, when he passed away, it was such a dark day in our lives. I was home preparing to preach at a gathering of all the abominations, I mean denominations. <laughs> I had to throw something in there or I'd start crying. So, <laughs> Gathering together in our city. Two o'clock in the afternoon, a lightning strike hit our city. I was sitting in a chair. I jumped out of my chair as it happened. Ten minutes later, there's a phone call from the police and I knew straight away. I said, your son's been hit by lightning and I knew he'd passed. To drive for 50 minutes in the car with his two younger children in our back seat, knowing what we were driving to. Remember arriving at the hospital. When I got out of the car, my legs were like jelly. We got to the front door of the hospital and two nurses met us. They didn't know us. It was a hospital in the Adelaide Hills in Mount Barker, if you've ever been in that part of the world, and little country hospital. They took us to a room and sat us down, and these two nurses started speaking in tongues and praying over us. Had never met them. Didn't know who they were. Living called, not looking for a pulpit, but taking opportunity to be in a platform of influence wherever we are for church starts on Monday and you know I was so deeply moved by that and yet the pain of seeing my son's lifeless body oh those things never leave you it was January the 22nd the first week of every January I've done the first Sunday at Hillsong for about 16 17 years now I'd preached out of Psalm 23 two weeks before my son's passing. I preach the Lord is my shepherd, not was my shepherd. He's personal, my shepherd. Is present and providing. He's personal. He's present. He's providing. What happens now? Two weeks later, my son gets killed. Is he still present? Is he still providing? Is he still personal? And the pain began... In 2016, that went on for quite a while. I'll give you four words that are not gimmicky. They're very real to me. The journey of my son's passing, four words were imprinted on my heart. Sit, stand, 
sing, serve. There's a time in our lives when things happen we don't understand. And it's okay to sit. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to question, for doubt is not unbelief. I could never not believe in God because I know him. But there were questions. There were doubts. There were things, how, why, what if, and all those questions. And for a while, I didn't have answers. And to this day, I've come to a great place of living life, not having to have all the answers. But I've got to have the right answers. It's not blind faith. It's biblical faith. But we're not going to have all the answers. Do you know how many non-Christians relate to that when I share with them today who are going through grief when I go, Look, I don't have all the answers and no one ever will, but these are the ones I've got. And they trust that level of authenticity. They don't want us to say it's all going to be great and awesome and fantastic, because it might not. But God is awesome and he is great and he is fantastic and he can be with us in the midst of the storm. And so I went through a time where I remember one day, Pastor Matt, one of our pastors, uh, Pastor Matt Stevenson turned up at my house, gave me a book. He said, I know you're really struggling and I can't share in your pain at the level you carry it, but here's a little thin book by a theologian called Nicholas Walterstorff. A man who was a deep theologian lost a 25-year-old son in a mountain climbing accident. You can get the book, it's called Lament for a Son. And as I began to read this little book, I saw myself on every page. He'll never come to his home again. Oh, if only I'd said these words. And I could relate to the story and I would sit there and weep. But I was so afraid. And yet I remember getting a letter from a man, an evangelist, who many years ago walked into a meeting I was preaching at on the Gold Coast. He'd lost his wife and his daughter in a short period of time. One died on the operating table while they were filming RPA. She was on that show. And his wife also passed away. First the daughter, then the wife. He writes me a letter and sends me a book called Grieving Upwards. He says, Pastor Danny, I've been praying for you. I want to tell you my story. When I lost my wife and my daughter, I walked into a meeting you were doing for the COC movement in Queensland and you were preaching a message on the stretcher series. I did a, a series of messages, 16 or 17 messages out of Mark chapter 2 about carrying the stretcher for those that need it. I remember we built our pastoral care around it. God showed me this about church life. Some people never want to get on the stretcher. They never want to admit they've got an issue. I'm fine. I'm fine. Two weeks later, they're divorced. You think, what happened there? Everything's okay. Some people never want to get off the stretcher. <laughs> and you've got to carry them all the time because they don't want to land at the feet of Jesus. They want you. Because of their brokenness and loneliness. Other people want to carry stretchers. If I'm in ministry and I can carry others, then you won't see my brokenness. The greatest gift I can give you this morning is my personal wholeness. And so we want to carry people because a title will keep people thinking that we're doing okay. 
Now, Jesus never died on the cross, so we spent 70% of our life on a stretcher. There's a power to deliver us and help us. But you know, there's a time we've got to put our hand up. I need a stretcher. And he said, I walked into your meeting, and as you were preaching that, I realized as an evangelist that prayed for healing, I now needed a stretcher. He said, Pastor Danny, will you now listen to your own preaching? And will you get on the stretcher? And will you let us carry you? And that's what happened in 2016. Because I allowed myself to be carried by others when I didn't have the energy myself. But there came a moment, ladies and gentlemen, when I knew I had to stand again. Because I knew too much about God then to ignore him. And I began by saying, God, I don't know where to start in the Bible. But I'm going to go to Psalm 39 because Chris was 39 years old. And I'm going to start reading there. And if you go to Psalm 39 verse 4, it says, Lord, show me how short my life will be. I am but a breath. And the whole passage is about dying young and yet having God. And I thought, God, of all the scriptures, the next day my Bible reading in my, where I was up to in the Old Testament was Deuteronomy 29, 29. Mysteries belong to the Lord. They're not for us to try to work them out. But for us and our children, we need to live by the revelation we have been shown. I've, heard, I've, I've known God personally. I encountered him many, many times in my life. Sometimes as Pentecostal Christians, we go from crusade to crusade to crusade looking for moments. But if those moments don't turn into movement, we will never live in momentum. God showed me that just recently as I spoke at a revival meeting. You see, I've got to walk with God in obedience even in the dark. I've got to walk with God in obedience every day because I know him to be the truth. And then there are moments like the ones I had that I've just talked about. There are moments. But some of us just want moments to fix everything. And we don't want those moments to turn into movement in our life where no matter what happens, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, we will follow him. As a youth pastor, and this is nothing like the first service, by the way, but as a youth pastor, for many years I travelled this country and doing youth camps and at the end of each service or each meeting in a youth camp, I would have a marriage where kids could come and get married to Jesus. They would get out of their seats and they would walk down and come and get married to Jesus. They would take the microphone and say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, God, I give you my life. And God signs the wedding certificate. Jesus signs the wedding certificate with his blood. And I used to say to young people, Jesus will never divorce you. Now, if you've been through those kind of issues, no condemnation here this morning, life has those things happen. But Jesus will never divorce us. He will never leave us. I'm on an aeroplane flying to France. With another pastor, I'm so broken on the inside. I don't know if I can keep going. And I'm saying, God, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't have the energy. I said to my friend who was traveling with me, I need God to show me I've got to keep doing this. We get off the plane in London to catch a connecting flight to Paris. And uh, I said to the guy that was traveling with me, let's play a game as we're getting off the plane. Italians do this a lot, this kind of thing. I said, let's see who's going to be the first one to bump into someone we know. 
He says, you're going to win your Italian. Everybody's your cousin. <laughs> we arrive in London. And we go into the Qantas club getting ready to transfer over to, to Paris. And a guy comes out from the bathroom and he, and he goes up to my friend. He goes, hello, how are you? And then he turns and he goes, you're Danny Gould, aren't you? I said, yeah, I am. He said, you know, my sons gave their lives to Jesus at a camp you spoke at and they responded to the wedding thing. They're both pastors today. And I don't know why I'm telling you this, Danny, but God's saying to you, don't give up. I just started crying and thinking, God, you've answered that prayer pretty quick. I get to Paris that night, I have an altar call, a man comes forward, he goes, are you pa you're Pastor Danny, Pastor Danny. He goes, 11 years ago in Pithwelly, Wales, you were speaking at the Assemblies of God conference and you prophesied over me. He said, today you told me I would go to one of the strangest places on earth. I was a policeman at the time. He said, and now I'm in ministry and I'm in a part of France called the Devil's Elbow. They said nobody would ever start a church there. We've been going for six months. We've got 50 people. And Pastor Danny, 11 years ago, you prophesied. I just want the Lord to tell you right now, don't give up. My friend goes, wow, did you hear that? I said, yeah. We went back to the hotel room. Three o'clock in the morning, the phone rings. Bruce Hills, whose dad was here this morning, pastor of this church for many years, is a... Bruce rings me from Brisbane. Hey, Danny, where are you? I could hear the beeps. I said, I'm in Paris. He goes, God told me to ring you and tell you don't give up. I didn't know where you were. It happened seven times, friends. The next morning, it was John Cameron from New Zealand. He goes, the generations need you to stand as a father. Don't give up. How did they know? How did they know? But God heard my prayer. I need to know. Friends, God is real. And everything he's promised me ministry-wise has happened. A couple of months before my son passed away, Pastor Rick Shelton from St. Louis was in my home. He starts praying over me and he said, three days from now, young men and women from all over the world are going to ring you that you don't know. And they're going to ask you to father them and mentor them. Three days to the day, the phone started ringing. It hasn't stopped happening from that day to this. That's four years. I have no website. I have no ministry of hints. <laughs> the will of God comes looking for you. If we live called. If we all live called. And so God so powerfully responded to the cry of my heart, but two months later my own son dies. How do you live with the contrast of losing your son while you're fathering other people's sons and daughters? Only a supernatural empowerment can help you live like that. There's no talking yourself into things. There's no positive thinking that's going to do that. You've got to have a seed inside of you. And we need a move of God across this planet where we can trust the seed. I'm burdened by this new generation that has more podcasts and listen to more recordings. Most of them don't listen to their senior pastor, but they listen to everybody else's pastor. But they don't know the real pastor who's on the inside of us 
that leads us into all, not the others aren't real, they're real too, but I mean, the, the God inside of us that can lead us. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. My feet is the immediate, my path is the long term. I trust him for both. I've trusted him all my life. I'm not going to stop trusting him now. And yet it doesn't take away the pain. 2016, I had to stand again on all that I knew about God. Then I started to sing again. It says rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice in the book of Philippians. I had to rechoice. I realised that rejoicing isn't laughing and clapping. That rejoicing is an inner posture. Though he slay me, I will worship him. No matter what you throw at me, I'll praise him. Oh, I wasn't doing the dance. I wasn't laughing in the spirit, but I was rechoicing to rejoice that knowing that I'm not a spiritual guinea pig God likes to experiment with, but I am his child and he knows best and what I don't understand, I will leave in his hands. I can stand when I don't understand because I got enough to stand on. And I started to sing again and then I started to serve in a way that I thought, God, I'll take my tears and I'll use them as a refreshing for others. Prayed over 2,000 people that have lost their kids. It hasn't just happened to us. Two of my school friends, both their sons committed suicide. Now I'm in the homes of non-Christians sharing about eternity. I had just finished doing a series on living from eternity. Can I say as a side comment right here, the church needs its accent back. The church of Jesus in the Western world needs to get our accent back. And it's not about what happens below the sun all the time. Solomon tried everything under the sun, but he never tried anything above the sun. And that was his problem. He tried everything, money, women, wine, uh, possessions, but never, he knew God as the creator, but he didn't know him personally. Never tried anything above the sun. Tried everything under the sun. The church needs its accent back. I have been preaching eternity. A nurse comes into the hospital one day. She goes, don't tell me your God is good. My brother committed suicide. My other brother died of cancer and my life sucks and my husband's left me. And I said, I can't promise you that everything down here works right because we live on a fallen planet. But I want to tell you, God can, but the most important, I can promise you eternity. She goes, tell me more about that. Non-Christians want to know about the truth of eternity, not just down here, because down here sometimes life sucketh. It really does. But I tell you, there's a God that can carry us through, and I pray for the sick, and I believe in miracles, and I will never get negative, and I'm always believing that God can. But if some way things don't go the way I think they should go, I trust him, and that is my greatest walk of faith, is to trust in a God that is all-powerful. So that was 2016. I thought that was enough for a while. And then 2017, I got diagnosed with bowel cancer, They thought. So I had to go in for major surgery. The good news is they thought it was a calcinoid, which is a cancerous tumour, but it was a benign tumour, but I didn't find that out for 15 days after the operation. So I had to trust God then again. My fear was not for me, but my grandkids and my wife having to go through pain again through the loss of a loved one. And it it was grieving to me, but I remember I thought, I've got to find a sense of humour in all this. I spoke to the surgeon. I said, sir, I said, sir, will I be able to 
play the piano after the operation. Some of you know this. And he goes, of course, we're not operating on your hands. We're operating on your abdomen. I said, yeah, but will I? He goes, yeah, yeah, you will. I said, well, that's good because I couldn't play it before. <laughs> so he's going, you're a funny man. You think, well, if you're going to go out, you might as well go out laughing. I was cracking jokes in the hospital and the doctors are going, you realise how serious you are? Yeah, well, it's not going to make any difference crying and feeling sorry for myself. And then we got through that after many infections. And then 2018, I was preaching all over New Zealand for three weeks on living from eternity. And I landed at Adelaide Airport and collapsed, walking up the stairs. And my daughter, who never comes to pick me up, was there with her mum and she ran down to help me get up. And within 24 hours, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. They found it in my bone marrow. So 24 blood transfusions somewhere around there. And they couldn't give me chemo until the blood, would, the hemoglobin would come up. My hemoglobin had gone down to 65, 70 from 130, if you're a doctor here and you understand, or nurse or whatever. And I couldn't breathe. And it was serious. The doctors come in and talk about life support. Then the chemo journey started. And six months later, my immune system was shot to bits. And now I'm dealing with infections. And I have one in my eyes right now. So I'm very one-eyed about you all this morning. But uh, so how do you... And look, people have been through worse than me. So I don't want to be a dramatist here this morning. But in the midst of all that, how do you stand? What do you do? And I want to tell you this morning... God is awesome. And during this whole journey, I received a phone call from New Zealand from a pastor friend of mine. He said, you've got to come and do a pastor's conference in Christchurch. And I said, I don't think I, I can do this. You know, By the way, I haven't read a scripture yet this morning. Don't worry, I will towards the end. And um, I can tell you I'm sick this morning and get away with anything. So there you go. <laughs> he says, you need to come and speak at Christchurch. We've got the place packed out. There's over a thousand pastors coming. And I, I said yes, and then I was back in hospital again. So I had to ring him, and I said, look, I can't come. He goes, you've got to come. I said, I can't. I'm in hospital. I've got tubes up my arm. He goes, well, okay then, but we have to find somebody else. And he wasn't real happy, but the next day he rings back. He goes, you couldn't prepare a sermon in the hospital, could you? You couldn't prepare something and then send it to us, and we will play it on screen. I said, well, if you want. Cut a long story short, I got the chapel. So a cameraman from Edge Church came down in the chapel and nobody else. I told him to film from the waist up because I sort of had pyjamas on the bottom half. <laughs> I didn't have all the clothes at the hospital that I needed. Managed to sort of make it work. And as I begin to preach in an empty room, the presence of God hits the room. I begin crying. The cameraman's bawling his eyes out. And there's no one in the room. Now, I didn't say this in the first service, but I want to say this. God was also preparing me to be able to do stuff like this and send it to churches without having to be there in body. And God was actually preparing that what he's put on my life, his purpose, see, his peace was there from day one. His presence was there from day one. But he's now showing me that no amount of sickness and no amount of brokenness can take me away from my God-given purpose. His purpose is with you. Whichever way we do it, his purpose is there. And so I did the recording. 
I'm bawling. I said to the pastor, you need to watch it before. It's a lot of tears. He watches it, rings me back, and he goes, the power and the anointing and those words of knowledge. A couple of days later, the Christchurch massacre happens and they have to cancel the conference. Can you work that one out? I can't go, I cancel. You push me to do a sermon, God shows up. We send it over to you and you cancel the conference. Where's God and all that? How many of you discovered that God's will doesn't always go A, B, C, D, E? It's A, L, K, F, N. And you've got to trust him. And it was three weeks later, after the massacre, I start getting text messages from guys in New Zealand. We are sitting here in a meeting watching you right now on screen. And your words of knowledge are so powerful after the massacre that if you'd shared them, we'd watch this before, it wouldn't have had the impact. I was prophesying out of Revelation 3. Behold, I've opened a door before you that no man can shut. The church of Philadelphia that had gone through earthquakes. I was prophesying about the earthquakes that were coming and the shakings and God was about to do this. And now three weeks later, the message impacts so many lives. And then we go, phew, it was God. Because if that wasn't God, then nothing else is God that I believed was God. I was so convinced it was God. A year before, I'd received an invitation to go to Zurich and to speak at a pastors and leaders conference in Zurich. And I was asking God whether he wanted me to go to Europe again. And then God supernaturally showed me that I should. And, and then this invitation comes through. I won't give you all the details. And so... I say yes and then I get hospitalised again and have to cancel. I have to cancel. And I go, this doesn't make sense either. I don't know what's going on here. And they said, will you come in a year's time? And so a few months ago, before I got sick again, I said to my wife, I've got to go to Zurich. Every time I prayed for Zurich, I wept and wept and wept. She goes, you're too sick. You can't do this. My wife, I didn't know until later, had already prepared a ticket to come and get me because she didn't think I'd make it. I had to be hospitalised when I got there for treatment. I was dehydrated. I had viruses. And, and so it wasn't real good, but I land in Zurich a year later than when I was supposed to go. And they meet me at the airport. And they go, you're not going to believe this, but our worship pastor two days ago passed away, 35 years of age. And we don't know of anybody in the world that can help us navigate our pain right now and our suffering and our loss. Don't preach on what the theme of the conference is. Just teach us how to handle suffering and pain. I'll show you a picture of this young lady who I never got to meet. And uh, um, this is the last song she wrote before she passed away. When my chapter's done and my torch is passed on and all my days are spent when they look at me, I want them to see that my heart looks like your heart in the end. If you can speak German, that's the same thing in German underneath that. For two nights, as thousands of people gathered, not knowing how to navigate sorrow and pain, I would stand in a broken body behind one of these, through an interpreter, and talk about God can be trusted no matter what. The timing of that, the timing of that, to come back to Australia, back in hospital again, and while I'm in hospital... Doctor comes in, I'm ministering to him. And then another day, a guy comes in. He's bringing in the food. He goes, you're Pastor Danny, aren't you? I said, yes. He goes, I used to be in your youth group. 
20-something years ago and I haven't been back to church because I'm addicted to pornography. My life is a mess. I am totally messed up in my life. I don't know whether Jesus would ever have me back. Can you help me? And here he is with the worst hospital food you could ever, ever want. It needed a half an hour prayer over it before you could eat it. And he's bringing this thing in. I do okay. I went to the doctor the other day and I said, Doctor, you've got to understand obesity runs in our family. He said, looking at you, sir, nobody runs in your family. And so, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> got to laugh, don't you? I'm blaming it on steroids at the moment. And he says, will you pray for me? I've got tubes in my arms. I'm in bed and I'm praying for this guy because I'm living called. I don't have a professional calling. I am, in, I am the church. You are the church. I am ministry. You are ministry. And my prayer for you in 2020 is don't come to church only. Be the church and live called. Look for divine appointments. Now let me say this. There's an anointing on this house for the prophetic. There's an anointing on this house for the apostolic. And it's not to keep it within these four walls. That needs to go out outside of these walls. And it needs to be activated in business. I am teaching the Bible to business people how to be vision casters, vision connectors, vision carriers, vision carers in a company all out of the Bible. Just using modern language, that's all. And it's amazing how much money non-Christians are happy to pay for that. I don't even charge. But they want to give you more than what Christians would ever give you. I'm just telling the truth. And you see, friends, today, when we live called, when we live for the cause of Christ, if the musicians could come, that would be great. When we live for the cause of Christ, yes, there's times we sit, but there is a time to stand. There's a time when we don't just stand, but we sing and we serve because we have the greatest cause on earth. The cause of Christ gives us purpose. It keeps us passionate. I'm going to say something you might not believe. I'm actually not a natural visionary leader. People say, where are you going, Danny? I said, I'm going to lunch. <laughs> I only think from breakfast to lunch. I'm not a visionary leader naturally. But when I get hold of the cause of Christ and revelation comes. Remember the woman who built the house on the roof? You know, there was a lamp, there was a bed, and there was a table. Too many leaders are sitting at the table of preparation, but they've never turned on the lamp of revelation. If we don't turn on the lamp of revelation, we can't sit at the table of preparation and then we can't rest on the bed of relaxation because Jesus is building the house. But when I get revelation and I turn on that lamp, I get passionate. I get clarity. So I'm not vision driven in that sense. I'm revelation driven. And that keeps me moving forward into whatever God wants. And I want to tell you, I don't want to be just a trendy visionary. I want to be a godly revelatory. And I want to hear his voice. After Jesus finished speaking, Peter launched into the deep for a big catch and said, if you say so, we'll go for it. But he had to wait for Jesus to finish speaking. And I want to tell you, if we get hold of the cause of Christ, he will speak to you and he will equip you and you can live called. You can live consecrated, committed. You can have clarity whether you're in business, whether you're a policeman, whether you are a shop owner. You can have clarity. You can keep confessing that call. 
I live constantly confessing that call. I continue in the call. I celebrate the call because I want to complete the call. I want to say one day I have finished the race. I have fought the fight, the good fight. Ladies and gentlemen, life can be a fight sometimes. Just choose the right fight. Right now I could fight all the wrong fights. Where was God when this happened? Where was God after giving my life, after serving, after doing this? What Pastors have rung me from around the world. We've got to break the curse off your life. I said, no, there's no curse on my life. I'm living in favour. I've got a peace I never knew could be that deep. I've got a presence I cannot deny. And I have a purpose that is so awesome that I can navigate through anything that comes. My daughter got on a plane yesterday to go to New York. The last time she went, four years ago, her her brother got killed. And she had to get on a plane and come home. We all cried at the airport yesterday. She goes, Dad, I hope you don't go while I'm gone. Because she knows how sick I am. I said, it doesn't matter. I know where I'm going. I know what's happening, but we'll be fine. I've got plenty more work to do. People from all over the world have sent me the same scripture of Hezekiah having an extended life. And people prophesying that there's more work to be done. I wake up in the night getting messages for the body of Christ. And I know there's more work to be done. And if I have to do it with bad eyes or or can't get around real easy, I'll still do it. There'll be a way to do the call of God because it's not forced. It's faith empowered to serve Him. Please live cold this year. Please live cold this year. And this church will not only see moments, you'll have movement that will bring momentum because it's a new era, not just a new day. Christianity is being redefined. I just want to say, Corey, before I I stop, and Simone, uh, you've been brought to the kingdom at such a time as this. You know that. That's not a deep thing to say. Other than God is going to cause you to marry the incredible sense of the prophetic, the apostolic and the power of God, but also a real down-to-earth practicality of how to live every day and, and, and to be relative to people that don't know Jesus. You see, sometimes people can walk into meetings that are so-called revival meetings and people can't fully understand. You're going to have an ability to understand the language of Babylon but carry the culture of Judah. You see, a lot of churches have embraced the culture of Babylon and brought it into the church, thinking if we're cool enough, if we're trendy enough, if we wear enough jeans where our bum crack's showing and all that sort of stuff, although that fashion's changed now, then people are going to think we're cool. But cool's not going to do it. But at the same time, you're not going to be uncool. You're going to carry the trends of heaven. You're going to carry the trends that people will understand. And you're going to be able to understand the language of Babylon. And the church that work with you will be able to embrace people that come from the world of Babylon. But you're not going to give them more Babylon. You're going to fuel them with the culture of Judah. Father, we pray that today. Father, we pray that today. In Jesus' name, we pray that you will use this house to heal the hurting that we use this house where people come in with brokenness and they're not giving cliched Christianese answers. That we will have in this church stretcher carriers that will be able to take people to the feet of Jesus. Father, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Just very quickly because my energy is running out. But 
If you're in the middle of a crisis, maybe you've lost a child. I just sense there's someone here today that not that long ago you had a miscarriage. I think there's more than one person and it's caused so much grief to you. But it's not the end of the story and God's got a, a powerful, powerful breakthrough for you and you need to trust Him with that. There's others here that you've had a, a crash in your business and things aren't going real good right now and it's caused you a lot, a lot of concern. Let me close with a scripture just in case you're offended I didn't use one. I have to. James chapter 1 verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I've gone over time, but listen, I'm living right now with an inner sense that no matter what happens, I don't need anything. I've got God and that is enough. And I carry that as a knowledge, not here, but in my heart. And this morning, if you're carrying distress, pain, loss, just quickly stand to your feet wherever you are. I would like to impart to you what God has done for me by faith as a strength to you across this building right now. If you're in one of those situations, please stand to your feet. I don't, I'm going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to hand back to the leadership. Father, I thank you right now for all these dear people that are standing right now in this house. God, this is not a sermon. It's not a preach. It's a reach. Let this be a reach in God right now into people's lives. Father, let it be a truth that's imparted that no weapon formed against us can succeed because we carry your seed inside of us for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. We trust you today, God. You are the truth and we embrace you no matter what. With every contrast we live with, you still will be Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.